Um, I've got something very important to talk to you about uh, today. Um, we're going to talk about we're going to talk about love. Oh, I know it's nice, isn't it? Um, when I was at school, I I really used to love uh, trashy pop rock. Okay, so some of you are lucky enough. Not only these guys, but some of you are lucky enough to remember the dulcet tones of Fall Out Boy and Blink-182 and My Chemical Romance, Tim. Um, essentially, if there was an American man with a whiny voice singing about how his life was really tough, despite the fact he was married to a supermodel and was a millionaire, I loved it. I absolutely loved it. I just liked that kind of music. But when I was a kid, liking music wasn't enough. When I was young, music was a personality trait. Okay? It was part of who you were. It told you which friends you had, because you could only hang around with people who had the same music interests. It told you which TV programs you watched. It told you how to dress. So I used to wear desert scarves. I don't know if any of you remember desert scarves, but I used to wear desert scarves all the time, even to school, even though they weren't allowed. And every morning before school, after I had finished, straightening my fringe, which is probably why it's so thin now. Um, after I'd finished straightening my fringe, I'd put wax just on the top of my head here, nowhere else, and I'd get my desert scarf, and I'd put it on my head, and I'd just sort of mix it up, and I would get something not dissimilar from that. <laughs> and, and, I, and I thought, I thought I looked good. Um, and... It became part of who I was. That hairstyle was part of me, was part of my friendship group, and it didn't matter how many times I told my mum it wasn't a phase, it was part of me, she wouldn't believe me. And it's a good job because it was just a phase. But I strongly identified as an emo. I was an emo, okay? Um, that was the group I decided I belonged to, and I was proud of it. I was in that subculture. Every generation has ideologies uh, that people would follow, so uh, relating to music. So um, there have been punks, there have been new romantics, there have been skinheads, there are metalheads, there are so many. If you think hard, mods, rockers, all of that, if you think hard enough, you probably were leaning towards one or the other when you were, um, when you were a bit younger. And within these groups, there are usually friction, okay? There are frictions and animosity and some kind of argument or beef going on. When I was young, and I don't know if this was the same for the whole of um, the UK, Britain, Guernsey, I don't know, but when I was young, in my little town in the middle of the Midlands, there were the emos and there were the chavs. Now, don't really get chavs anymore. The closest you get is sort of like road men, but you guys know in Guernsey you don't get road men. You get 12-year-olds who watch too much YouTube. And, <laughs> but we're sort of talking like Burberry tracksuits, um, sports socks over there. Like pulled over their um, tracksuit bottoms, um, usually with a bottle of something alcoholic in their hand, um, and then us emos with our dark clothes and bright red scarves and stupid hair. And there was always friction between us, especially um, at school in, uh, in the uh, playground every lunchtime. Honestly, West Side Story had nothing on us. We were... <laughs> We were always fighting. There was always some kind of conflict, whether it was just a fight, whether it was um, stealing someone's bag and throwing it over the school fence um, a couple of times, someone pouring whole bottles of Fanta over someone's head. Of course, I wasn't there for any of this. I was in the library hiding from the popular kids. But the point is, 
from a young age, me and the people I grew up with were taught to distrust the other, to dislike those who were different from us and to disagree with their opinions if they weren't our own. Humans, by our very nature, are tribal. We have our own communities, and we often struggle to break out of them. It's, it's part of us. It's part of our genetic makeup. But that's not how Jesus wanted us to be. He wanted us to be different from that. He wanted us to go against what was natural in our DNA. Galatians 5, to 25 says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Now, we're going to go through that whole list of different things in a minute, um, but really I want to focus on that last verse first. Okay? I want us to internalize it. I want us to really understand it and keep it in our mind as we move forward. Since we live by the Spirit, that means um, living for God. Okay? That means being part of of uh, the Christian faith and having faith and wanting to achieve that. Since we live by God, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us be led by God's example. Let us be led by Jesus' example. So if we are to live up to those expectations, which is what we're being told, what is expected of us? Well, love, joy, peace, forbearance, posh word for patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control, nine points. Nine separate qualities, apparently, to work at, to help us on our way to being good Christians. Don't worry, I'm not going to go through every single one. Um, but they're all connected, is the truth. That's why we don't have to talk about all of them. Because being kind helps you to be good. And being faithful allows you to be kind more openly. And being gentle informs kindness and faithfulness and peacefulness, which then helps you to be patient and joyful and so on. They all cross over. But the thing they all have in common is they all revolve, they all orbit around this idea of love, whatever love is. In Matthew 22, Jesus said, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and most important commandment. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets depend on these two commandments. The two most important things that Jesus says we can do involve loving. The first, loving God, and the second, loving each other, which is easier said than done, I know. Loving God is easy enough, right? Kind of. We come to church, we worship. We're consistently loving God in all we do, right? So, so how can we love him more? Well, the truth is, no one has completed it. No one in this room loves God. 100% finished, done, can't improve, that's it. An important thing to remember is that if someone here, or if anyone you know, if anyone thinks that they are superior in their love for God, or that they can't improve how much they love God, or that they couldn't love him anymore, Truth is, they don't love them enough. Truth is, they become complacent in their faith. They need refreshing. So we can always improve in everything we do. And so we're going to leave that for today. We're going to talk about how to love one another. We can do that um, by fulfilling the 
commandment Jesus gave us, loving one another, it's tough. It's difficult sometimes, knowing that there are people out there you disagree with, people you don't like, but to keep in step with the Spirit, to be led by Jesus' example, we need to love them regardless. Put your hand up if you are watching I'm a Celebrity. Anyone? A couple of people, a few of you. A few of you in denial. We'll talk about that another week. Um, Matt Hancock. Oh, he's a bad man. Oh, he's funny though, isn't he? Oh, I'm going to vote for him. He's funny. He's interesting. I love him. I don't want to. I love him. Because that's what we have to do, okay? Um, So what does that look like? What does me loving Matt Hancock look like? Well, News, that'll be on the front page of the Guernsey Press tomorrow morning. Um, it, uh, what does it look like? It doesn't mean that we have to try and be best friends with everyone, for a start. Um, it doesn't mean that you have to invite that colleague that really annoys you um, to come around for dinner to your house. That's not what it means. You could do that. It'd be lovely if you did, but that's not what it means. It doesn't mean that you have to invite the man at Waitrose to go out for a beer with you. That's not what loving people, everyone, looks like. It just means you have to be willing to let that person see Jesus in you. Okay, that's how you love someone. If you have a child who is two years old and they say, Mommy, Daddy, I, all I've ever wanted to do, I don't know if your child speaks like this well, then um, you're rich. But if they say, all I've ever wanted to do in my whole life is touch that hot oven, you don't say, go on then. Have fun. No, you say, no, don't do that, silly child. You're going to hurt yourself. That's love, okay? Because you could just walk away and be like, yeah, all right, get cracking. But we don't, and that's love, okay? So just letting someone see Jesus through you is a form of love. Simon Peter, one man, one of the disciples, despised the Roman government, okay? He was a Roman rebel. He fought against them. He wanted to overthrow the Roman government that ruled his home. And that was something he really strongly believed in. That was was part of his identity. As I have my hair, he has a cause. And that was part of him. Matthew, great name, other disciple, was a tax collector. A tax collector who worked for the Roman government. Now, tax collectors were really looked down on back then. Being a tax collector then was probably worse than being a parking attendant today, maybe. And everyone looked down on him. Even so, Matthew did not hate the Roman government. They paid him. They gave him a house. They helped him to live. And as a result, Peter and Matthew, they didn't get on. There have been scholars that have written about the Gospel of Matthew and how he has written unfavorably about Peter. But just because they were the emos and the chavs, Despite that, despite their ingrained differences, the part of them that didn't like each other, their learnt behaviours, they loved one another. They didn't like one another, but they loved each other. There are people in here who are parents, um, and I'm sure all of you, and I'm sure it's everyone, because my mum says everyone thinks it sometimes, where you've thought, I love you to your children, but right now I do not like you. And, that is, and I have that, I don't have any children, but I, I often feel that about friends. I think, oh, I do love you, but I wish you would, like, right now, I don't like you. And that's valid, that's a real thing, you can feel that, but you can still love that person. Just because you don't like them at that minute doesn't mean that you should forget them. 
So we're not talking about small disagreements between Matthew and Peter. Uh, they were in different tribes. One, one tribe that wanted to hurt, wanted to overpower, wanted to control the other. But Jesus knew this and purposefully picked those two adversaries to be in his chosen 12, to show us how we should all love. Even if you have those disagreements, doesn't mean you should love that person any less. Jesus shows us throughout the Bibles the different ways that we can be kind. He shows us by being kind in those ways, um, by modeling, teaching us in the same way we teach our children to brush their teeth, wash their face, use an, use an open fork. So to go through every single way that Jesus teaches us to love would take a very long time. We'd have to go through every single one of his acts of love. What he's doing is he's giving us a plethora of examples that we can learn from. So rather than going through each example separately, we're going to boil that down just into three things. These three things are not all of them. They're not how to love someone, full stop, write a book, three pages. It's a start. It's a beginning. Earlier I said that not everyone loves God completely because you have to continue trying to work at that. It's not just something you complete and finish. It's not um, a book, okay? You have to continuously do that. So I'm not insinuating that anyone in here doesn't love everyone. I'm just saying you could love everyone more. And this is how we can do that. So the first, as a starter, um, is loving others through patience. And it seems like a really small thing because to others it looks passive. It doesn't look like you're doing anything. If I'm becoming frustrated with someone because they're being noisy in my life, they're providing distractions from work, and they're causing me to become less productive, it might be that that person actually just wants someone to talk to. So by allowing them to distract me for just five minutes longer than I usually would, by being patient with them, I'm loving them. By doing nothing to them. It looks passive, but in truth I am doing something. I'm providing that person with an opportunity to feel better. And therefore, I am loving them. Ecclesiastes says, be not quickly provoked in your spirit, for anger resides in the laps of fools, which means be calm. Don't get upset, don't get impatient. Otherwise, you may become angry or unkind. Being patient uh, is an opportunity to love like Jesus loved. Being patient, number one. Number two is empathy. It's a nice, easy verse from Romans. Uh, rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. Easy enough, everyone can remember that. Being empathetic is being able to understand someone's situation or identify how someone is feeling. Um, but the love isn't in the understanding. You can understand something and not act on it, and that's not love. It's the actions that follow. Often we see people who are a bit off or acting out of the ordinary, someone that we kind of know but not properly. Um, and unless it's something that causes a huge reaction, unless it's someone bawling in the street or screaming in the workplace, we tend to ignore it because we're busy. You know, it can be tough. When you've got a full day at work, when you've been working for 10 hours and you get, you've got to get back to make tea for the kids, but you need to go and post tax forms and you're worried that the post office is going to be closed and then you see someone that you kind of know and they don't seem right, but they're okay. And you just say, oh yeah, and then walk off and, and don't give them that time. You're not loving them. By being empathetic, by talking to them, understanding, but also letting them talk through their issues, and maybe, you know, I'm not suggesting you do this to everyone, you'll never get anything done, but 
picking someone and being able to help them work through being empathetic, you are loving that person. Now, I know that sounds like a niche example, but I'm sure if we think back, we've all been in a similar situation. A time in our lives when we could have helped one person just by having a chat with them. So that's point two. Be empathetic to other people and love them as Jesus would have loved them. Third, act of kindness. Now, this one is probably the most tricky of all of them because the first is very passive. This is very active. It's got the word act in it. Um, Luke 6 says, But love your enemies to do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for he himself is kind to ungrateful and evil men. So I'm not, I'm not suggesting that you go out now and buy something to give to someone. You could if you wanted to. I'm not suggesting uh, that you're kind. Sorry, I am suggesting that you are kind to people by thinking about them, thinking about how you can impact their week. Show kindness as Jesus would love them. Maybe you could go out of your way and thank the person who gives you your coffee every morning. Usually you say, yeah, thanks, cheers, and walk off. Maybe you say, do you know what? I've been coming here every day for a year, and this is amazing coffee. You do a great job. Thank you so much. Maybe you could um, give your partner the morning off and bring them breakfast in bed. Maybe you could. Maybe you could... um, Maybe you could wash a friend's car, Jordan. Maybe you could wash a friend's car. Maybe. (laughs) But just doing something to show someone you care about them. You'll show them you care about them, and you'll show them that love is free. You'll show them that love is kind, and you'll show them that Jesus is love. Through these actions, whether patience, empathy, or an act of kindness, people will see Jesus. And some of those people won't know him already. And they won't know that they're seeing God in you. But that's exactly what they're seeing. I like that song. Um, living, sorry, the teacher came out of me then. Did you see that? Um, <laughs> it's been a long day. Um, living your life by the example Jesus set is the goal. Loving people. So I have another challenge for you. I have a challenge for you. I would like you to think on these three things. Under all of your chairs or on all of your chairs or near you or around you are little sheets of paper with the word P written on them down the side. P is for patience. E is for... Oh, very good at the front. A is for... Good, well remembered. Um, What I'd like you to do is... Hang on, I purposely haven't given you pens yet because I'm a teacher because I don't want you to write what I'm talking, Ellie Gallium. Um, what I would like you to do is have a chat with the people around you about that question at the top. I've got so many more here if people need them. What could you do to show you love others? Just in that top bit above the dotted line. Because what I would like you to do with the rest of it is take it away. In the foyer, on the table, there is an excellently wrapped box with a hole in the top that I would like you, if, if you're coming back to church before next Sunday or even if you wait until next Sunday, just throughout this week, really try to show an act of patience. They're just right there. Don't write your name. Keep them anonymous. Write how you've shown empathy to someone. Write an act of kindness that you have done. I want you to take a few minutes to talk about how you could do those things, how they could 
um, show themselves, but that is not the challenge. That's not the tricky bit because we're Christians and we should be doing that every day, right? The dictionary defines the word tribe as a social group composed chiefly of numerous families. Does that sound familiar? As far as the dictionary are concerned, we are a tribe. We are the emos. People outside of the church, they are the people who don't know Jesus. They have no idea the amazing things that go on in these, in these walls throughout the week. They're in different tribes. They're punks, they're rockers, they're chavs, a lot of them. What we want to do this week, my challenge to you, is to think of these three things and to perform those acts on someone who is not in this tribe. I don't want you to do it to each other. I don't want Jordan to wash my car. I want Jordan, I want Jordan to wash that man at Waitrose's car. Okay? I want you to sp spread your wings and go out and see people on the island because in that way, we can show people who Jesus is we can show the island who church is and we can who this church is and we can show Jesus what he means to us okay so 5 minutes pens are located here here and here um, they're dotted around find them and um, and then in about 5 minutes um, the band will come back up and I'll pray and then we'll crack on all right so 5 minutes have a chat